Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. This is Class 2, Session 3. Um, we're talking about the effect on the family um, when we have a child with a disability and that we need to include the family, particularly the parents, within any kind of decision that we might make. We're going to look a little bit at a family systems approach, which is a, a therapy type approach in working with families. Um, the belief system here is that your family tends to be a social system that has a lot of connections where everyone is interrelated. And the goal here is, the concept here is that if one person in the family has some sort of problem, then that problem affects everyone within that family. Um, so the entire system is affected. So if, say a father in the family had um, alcoholism, it's not just his problem. It's also the problem of the wife and the children. And the same would be true when we have a child with a disability. Um, that's why many of the professionals today take the family systems approach into understanding that um, the child with special needs impacts everyone within that family, the other siblings, the, the parents, um, the marital relationship of the parents, uh, extended family, things like that. Every family, however, is unique and has characteristics that are different from those of other families and has needs that are unique to that one family. Um, there typically are four key elements when you look at a family systems approach. Um, so you look at the characteristics of the family. What is the makeup of this family? Um, some families are quite small. There might just be one parent and one child that you would be talking about. Others may be very large and you may have two parents and, you know, maybe eight siblings that are um, in the family. Some of the families have um, blended families where you've mixed in um, mom had children, dad had children, and we married and we may have had children of our own. And so there's a really interesting makeup with that family. So we really want to look at the characteristics. Um, sometimes children are you know, gone one weekend and then they come back, you know, for the week. And so we want to know what's going on with the family when we're trying to work with them. Our interaction is important as well. And all families um, have interactions that take place within that family. You'll know that there may be extended family where we spend a good bit of time with our grandparents or aunts and uncles and cousins. And they would then need to be included in our plan as well if they spend a significant amount of time with the family. All right, you'll note that in a family, um, there's sibling-to-sibling -sibling interaction, time where brothers and sisters are just with each other and the parents aren't there. And they interact in certain ways. Um, we have parent-to-child interaction where a parent may just take one child for a period of time and interact with that one parent, with that one child one-on-one. -on -one. Um, maybe one parent to two children, that sort of thing. Um, and sometimes the whole family does things together. So we have many different interaction methods um, within a family that we would want to look at. Families serve functions, and some of those functions are listed here. They're, they vary from family to family, but primarily these would take place and you gain affection from your family. 
Um, your family has some uh, responsibility for educating you and you learn things within your family. Um, your family provides recreation opportunities for you, um, builds your self-esteem, teaches you various daily care lessons, you know, how to do things like brush your teeth, um, and economics. You learn a little bit about money um, within your family when they tell you we can't afford to do something, or they teach you how to manage an allowance. And we also want to look at the life cycle of a family. Families do merge um, into different stages. And we start out usually with um, a single person beginning a family. And then as they marry, um, that family goes into another stage. And then as they have a child, there will be another stage and so forth. So as you work with families, you're going to find that sometimes you're dealing with older parents um, who've had two or three other children and the, the youngest child maybe has um, an exceptionality and they're old hands at parenting. Um, they're just having to learn how to work with a child with a disability um, and they may even have um, some things like adolescents in the family which are going to make the family dynamics a little bit differently. Other times you're dealing with a very, very young couple and this is their first child and they've never parented before and they're very worried. They're in this early developmental period with, when it comes to raising children. Um, transitions occur as you were having, you know, a child leave home, which is going to again change the dynamics of that family. And the, the child with exceptionalities can cause some transitions to occur as we realize we are, we're having to move very quickly into a new phase of life where perhaps we're dealing with um, children's hospitals a lot. If we have a child maybe with um, leukemia and we're dealing with, okay, this is not what I expected to be doing, but I'm going to transition into um, now I'm a mom of a sick child. And so we would have to work with where that family might be. Usually what we'll find is that parents have various different reactions to disability. Um, this is a stage model, but you'll note as we look at the primary, secondary, and tertiary phase that the arrows that are kind of that burgundy color go both ways. So this is not um, a very set stage model where you move from primary to secondary to tertiary and everybody does it exactly the same way. Um, there's a lot of movement back and forth within these stages, but the reason they're divided into, the, you know, primary and so forth is that's generally what happens in the beginning. So with our primary phase, this is the beginning part, for most people, you would have reactions that are common. Everyone won't have every reaction, um, but it's likely that you will see shock where we just had absolutely no idea that this could happen, and when we find this out, we're just blown away. Um, I just can't believe it is something that a person in shock might say. Um, are you sure? And then if we have um, denial, we're just not accepting it. We've heard the news, but we don't want to have that news be true. And we're having a really hard time, and we just say, I just don't think you're right. That can't be happening. Um, and we move on now. Most people don't stay in denial forever, and it's really not very healthy to do that. It is a coping method um, to 
really just handle some bad news the first moments we may be in denial until our brain can kind of wrap itself around the fact that this is truth and then we can kind of move along um, but denial is where we really just leave things like they are and pretend like it's not happening and mentally we don't believe it grief and depression are actually a little bit different depression is just a, a really deep sadness over what is happening and grief is it's just a mourning um, oftentimes a loss of what we thought we would have and we grieve over that and those are very very normal emotions for us to have um, the secondary phase oftentimes comes in as people have kind of moved through that first phase that primary phase and are ready to kind of move to the next level of thinking about things and you can see that there's several emotions here ambivalence I'm not really sure what I think um, I'm kind of torn between some positive emotions and some negative emotions and I'm not really able to put a finger on what I feel some parents um, mothers in particular are prone to have guilt over things like well if only I hadn't you know had a glass of wine or if only I had walked more when I was pregnant those kinds of reactions might come about there many people get angry um, they get angry over the situation they get angry at God because God allowed this to happen to them they may get angry at a doctor um, or a psychologist who gave them the diagnosis and they're just furious about this um, some are just embarrassed you know they don't want anybody to know they're worried about what people will think about them and how they will be judged um, and you can have a person, you know, move up and down in those really within the cycle within just a day of all those emotions. All right. If we now remember, we can go back to primary phase, particularly if we get new news that may be difficult to have um, processed. But if we are kind of getting through those phases, we may move to tertiary phase and you'll see there's some different things going on there. Bargaining is a real natural phenomenon where we start making little deals. Um, we talk to the doctor now. If you'll, you know, do this for us and get this child healed, we'll do these things. Um, some people bargain with God. You know, you just heal my child, and I promise I'll never miss church again, or I'll go be a missionary for you if that's what you want me to do. Um, and clearly, that doesn't work. Um, we don't bargain with God, but it, you know, is a way of trying to gain control over the situation. Um, usually, once we kind of realize those things aren't working, we go to the next stage, which is sort of an adaptation of life. We're reorganizing our life. We may not have reached the next level, which is true acceptance, but at least realizing, okay, you know, I may not like this and I can't get it to change, but I at least need to put in a wheelchair ramp for right now um, because my child's in a wheelchair. Now, they won't stay there, but they're going to be in a wheelchair right now, so I'm going to adapt and I'm going to put that ramp in. And I'm going to let my child um, in and out the house easier with the ramp. Usually once you do adapt and start reorganizing, you move on to acceptance. This is my life and this is the way it is going to have to be. All right, but you note, even at that stage, you can move back. Um, and again, usually when you're moving back and forth, it is different news that you've heard where they're telling you something you weren't expecting to hear at this point. Um, like things aren't going as well as you had hoped and you kind of move back into maybe denial or anger again. 
Um, but usually as time goes on, you move closer at least to the, the far right of the screen. All right, now one thing really, really important with this is it is never good. It's very condescending if you say to someone, oh, I see you're in the secondary phase and dealing with anger. Um, that's not helpful at all. It very much diminishes where the family members are and what their feelings are. So you just want to accept wherever they might be. Remember, if this is a larger family, you may have one parent who's over in the grief and depression stage and another parent who's dealing with anger or bargaining. And they're not, uh, they're not necessarily going to be on the same page when it comes to how they react um, to the disability. All right, when it comes to other relationships within the family, you will find that disability has an effect there as well. Um, there's the marriage relationship, and we may find that um, even if a family, uh, the parents were, you know, very happily married um, before, they're going to take a, it's going to take a toll. But usually if they are happily married, they cope a lot better, and they can tend to draw together as a couple and work together. Um, the relationship wasn't as good, that may not be the case. All right, the parent-child relationship may have to shift um, because what we did do with our other children or what we may have done with this child if they didn't have a disability before, maybe there's been an accident and suddenly they have physical limitations, there's certain things you can't do now. All right, if this were in a, a case of a child with leukemia, we may not be able to take them out in public because they'd be exposed to germs. And so we're going to not be able to do all those activities, you know, that we did before. We're going to have to change things and do things that are a little bit quieter and at home. Siblings um, are going to have... Um, a toll as well, and that this may be even harder for them. Um, children oftentimes don't understand why they can't do something just because their sibling can't do it. Um, there are many different emotions that siblings might have, and uh, frequently they do love their sibling, but oftentimes they resent them over the fact that they're not getting to take a trip because the sibling can't go. Um, some really don't like the fact that their parents are spending a lot of time with maybe at a hospital or a lot of money is having to go there. Um, grandparents are also impacted as well because they had an idea of what this would be like. So the stress on the family um, and all these different relationships, um, note is not always related to how severe the child's disability is. There are folks whose children have extremely severe disabilities and they cope well and manage without much stress. And there are some other families where it's a very minor disability and the family just tends to fall apart because of the stress of um, this on the family. So you won't know just because of how severe that disability is how that family is handling it. It does depend on the makeup of that family, um, how strong their faith is, variables like that.